Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Psalm 32, and we should have the right scripture up there for this one. Uh, The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Psalm 32 in your Bible. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not teach them, shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Thank you, Sam. It's the word of the Lord. Um, well, like I said with the kids, today is the first Sunday in Lent. And we've already said Lent is a time of, of preparation for Easter. Uh, the history of Lent kind of started way back at the, the very beginning of the early church. Uh, and it was specifically for people who were preparing to be baptized on Easter to, to join the church. Uh, way back at the beginning of church. And it was a time of preparation. They would do things. They would have a fast. They would sacrifice uh, not doing certain things um, in part of this preparation to concentrate and pray and reflect on, on God. Uh, as time went by, though, uh, the, the people who were in charge of these things decided that this was a good practice for all of us to observe as we moved towards uh, the celebration of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so it's a season of, of kind of recognizing our own sinfulness, recognizing that, that we ourselves are not God, uh, but that God is God, and we don't have the power to, to save ourselves. Uh, that even in our selfishness, um, we tend to, to, to do more harm than we do good. So part of, uh, part of fasting something is to kind of give, give up that time, give up that selfishness to be able to, to focus more on God. Well, if you were with us on Wednesday night uh, for Ash Wednesday, which is the, the kickoff, um, we said maybe that, that giving up something isn't always the best way to approach Lent. Um, but that, uh, that maybe, maybe doing something else might be good. And so we asked this question, and I'm going to see if this works here, because I forgot my clicker. There we go. Uh, what does it mean to live with neighborly, compassionate justice? Uh, we looked at this passage in Isaiah, and God's people were back in Israel, and they're, they're doing all of the right things worship-wise, but they still felt like God was not near. And part of the reason that God wasn't near with them at that time was because they were terribly selfish people, and the, the poor in their community were, were wasting away, and, and everything was bad. And God comes and says, look, what I desire, the fast I desire for, from you 
is not to give something up, but to enact uh, what we're going to call neighborly compassionate justice. God's ordinances in, in that particular passage. And, and it's, it's uh, well, it's being a good neighbor. Right? We've titled this whole series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Right? Stealing from Mr. Rogers. But what does it look like for us who have been called children of God to live uh, rightly with our neighbors? Compassionate justice. Uh, justice that looks for the good of the other. Uh, one of the things, I'd, I've, I've been doing a, a project recently for, for school and uh, interviewed a whole bunch of different people. One of the things that came out was after Pastor Gary retired, uh, you all did a survey. Like you took a survey of, of what kind of pastor would be important to you going forward. And one of the things, like the main thing that came out of that survey was that you all wanted to be outreach-oriented. And, and that's such a good thing. I think, I think, and this may be a little bit different take on that. Like if we want to be outreach-oriented, outreach if we want to share the love and grace that God has given to us, then answering this question, what does it mean to live with neighborly, compassionate justice is at the heart of that endeavor. Because I don't think, if we're not serving our neighbor, all of our neighbors well, then the words that we say that we believe about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do uh, are kind of meaningless. Does that make sense? So we're asking this question, what does it mean to to live with neighborly, compassionate justice? Um, This week, though, the, the part of the... Part of the Lenten journey is confession, is understanding, coming to the light of our sins. So this week's psalm concentrates more on kind of personal and kind of corporate confession, uh, bringing our sins to light. And, and it's because I don't think, I don't think that we can live with neighborly compassionate justice if we are wrapped up and entangled in our own sin. Does that make sense? Uh, if we are caught in, in our own selfishness, we are not going to be the kind of people that Christ wants us to be in our community, uh, either as individuals or as the gathered up body of believers. So here, here's kind of what I want you to take home. Confession is good for the body and the soul too. It's good for your bodies. It's good for our body as the community of faith the church, the body of Christ. And it is good for the body that is our larger community. It's good for the city of Fulton. It's good for the county of Callaway, the state of Missouri, and the United States, and even the entire world. So, we'll get through this psalm. Psalm 32 kind of has three different parts. There's a little introduction, and then there's a little part that talks about the psalmist's groaning and his, 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 uh, his terrible state that he's in. And then there's some restoration uh, and then he's going to move towards teaching. So let's look at this. Uh, verse 1 and 2. Uh, happy, that what isn't supposed to be there. Look at that. Happy are those whose transgressions is forever, is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I, I want to pull out a couple of things here. First, this phrase happy, right? Happy are... Um, you could translate it blessed are or blessings on. Remember we talked about this thir- through uh, Epiphany, the season right before this, that, that this is a word of grace and promise. This is a blessing from God to us. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, 
notice that it doesn't say, happy are those who never sin, right? Uh, happy are those who never have any kind of uh, transgression against anybody else. Uh, like we said to the Sermon on the Mount, that God's blessing, his promise to be with us and for us always, comes to us not in our self-perceived righteousness, but in our sinfulness. That, that God has promised to come and be with us and for us always, even when we are terribly selfish people. I think what this psalm presupposes is that you and I are sinful people from the get-go. We're sinful. We're selfish. We just as soon kill you than help you. Right? I hope none of you, you know, you know what I mean, right? But the other thing that I think that this psalm presupposes is that forgiveness is always there. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. The people of God, you and I, when we, when we come to face our own sinfulness and present them before God, God is always there, ready, willing to forgive, ready and willing to, to take that sin away. Uh, happy are those who, to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and whose spirit there is no, uh, there's no deceit. God is, is in that moment of forgiveness. He is changing us and transforming us and making us into something else. He's not counting those sins that we have done against us, uh, but working for our transformation. Move a little farther. It says, uh, and, and that's kind of the introduction. This is the next part. And, and I find this really fascinating. Uh, the psalmist says, while I kept silence, he's talking about his sin and his, uh, his transgressions here, right? While I kept silence, my body wasted away, though my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up by the, as by the heat of the summer. This, this psalmist, is maybe King David, right, who wrote, who wrote this, he's got unconfessed sin. He has done something to somebody he has done something uh, against God and he has not, he hasn't, maybe he hasn't confessed it to anybody else and he certainly hasn't told it to God. But this, this lack of confession, this uh, silence towards God causes his body to waste away. Like physical torture. Now, we'll, we'll, I don't think God is causing that here and I'll get to that in a second. I just want to say that up front. God isn't, isn't putting this burden on the psalmist saying, because you have not confessed, uh, you're going to suffer. Because I don't necessarily think that's how God always works. But God may work that way sometimes. Uh, I think you've experienced this, honestly, I, I do. Uh, think about a situation where you have had broken relationship with somebody. Where you have hurt somebody, and it is, you know that the next time you're going to see them, it is going to be awkward to say the least, right? Uh, that it's, that's going to be a sticky situation and you just would rather avoid that altogether. Haven't you been there? Only me? Okay, well then you all can preach the sermon. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you find yourself, you've, you've done something, maybe even somebody has done something against you and you know that you're going you're gonna to have to run into them sometime, but your stomach churns and it tightens, and you get all tense, and your neck spasms, and you just, like, it's just, 
it's in your body and you're all coiled and, and you just, maybe you think in your mind, you, you work through the conversation that you're going to have with this person when you finally see them. And that only serves to make things worse, right? You kept silent. You don't confess it to God. If you don't confess it to others, as a way of working inside your body, causing you to all kinds of turmoil. Maybe bad blood pressure, I don't know. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the day. The psalmist is saying, because he did not confess this thing, it just completely took all of his energy, took everything he had. Now here's where I think, this is why I said I don't think God caused this to happen to this, you know, it's not causing the punishment. If we truly believe that, that God has promised to be with us and for us always, even in the midst of our sinfulness and our transgression, right? That God is always pursuing us. He's always calling our name, saying to us, I want to be your friend. I want to be in good and right relationship with you. And when we fail to confess our sins to God and to one another, God still pursues us. And it becomes awkward. Right? We're like, ah, I'd rather not talk to you, God, because there's stuff between us. Those of you who are married or been in a relationship with a significant other, you've had those experiences, right? Like there's something there. You just would rather not talk. Uh, maybe eventually you get to work it out, right? Hopefully. God is pursuing the psalmist saying, hey, look, I know anyway. I, I need you to know that I know. I need you to confess. I need you to confess to me and, and to someone else and move past this. Because if you don't, it will ultimately destroy you. So he moves on and verse five, and then he said, something happens. I don't know what happened. He doesn't tell us. He says, then I acknowledged my sin to you, to God, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, this is, I mean, he could have avoided all of this pain and torment had he just confessed his sin right off the bat. But he chose to hit it. He said, I will confess my transgressions, transgressions and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Notice here that there's like, like he didn't go to a priest, although, or a pastor, right? He confessed to God. And immediately God forgives. He confessed. God forgives. Forgives of this guilt of his sin. I think that's an amazing thing, right? Like, you don't need me to confess. I can help you do that. Uh, you don't need someone super spiritual to, to lay it all out. Say, this is what I've done. This is, this is what's consuming me, what's causing me so much trouble. Like, the very God who created us, who created the world, the universe, who, as we sang earlier, calls us to be his sons and daughters, is always available for us to confess the things that we have done, to confess our sins against other people and against God. Now, I'm going to say this, and I think this is super important. Confessing to God is good. It's right. You need to do that. 
but you need to confess to one another as well. Choose your people wisely, right? Don't just confess to anybody, especially if they have a big mouth. But choose to to open up to that. Because as much as there is power and forgiveness in confessing our sins to God, there is freedom and support in confessing our sins to one another. Go a little bit farther. So this whole thing he's gone through, right? He sinned against God, against somebody else. It's caused turmoil. He's wasting away. Finally, he realizes that he must repent, he must confess, and he does. And immediately, he experiences freedom and forgiveness. And then he says this, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Like, I get the sense as I read this passage this week, that the psalmist is going to do this regardless of whether you want to listen to it or not. Like he's going to say, hey, look, like this is what you should do. You're not going to be right unless you do do it. I will instruct you and teach you the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And, and this is not just, though, this is not just teaching kind of from a distance. Uh, this, is, this is teaching I think, with a relationship, with, with some accountability. In my mind, it's like the piano teacher who sits next to you during your lesson. And maybe if the piano teacher happens to be your mom, right, throughout the week, and notices the things that you have not done right in practicing your piano piece. Has an eye upon you and, and continually instructs you not from a place of like authority and distance, but from a place of love and care so that you might become the best pianist that you could possibly become. Or it's like the teacher you might have had in school, right? The one who believed in you so much, the one who cared so much about you that they did not let you fail. They pushed you harder to learn the things that you needed to learn. Or it's the coach that you might have had who saw the potential that you have to be the athlete that they needed, right? Who didn't live you, let you give just kind of a partial percentage of your effort, but that pushed you to do that drill, to run that play, to do the things that you needed to do to become the athlete, the player, this coach know you could become. I, I think, I think this is our responsibility to each other, actually. That you and I have a responsibility as people who hopefully have been forgiven, who've experienced, you know, relief and release and forgiveness for the things that we have done. To say to our friends and our family and our coworkers, be like, hey, I believe you can avoid all of this mess, all of this wasting away. Move them towards confession and repentance. Being coming into a relationship with the God who has created us. And then to act like the, the psalmist here. To instruct and to teach in the way that they should go. To counsel not from a place of authority, but from a place of relationship. Keep your eye on them. Not, not as you're out to get them, but because you believe that they can become the person that God has called them and created them to be. He uh, 
One last one. I think this is funny. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle else it will not stay near you. Now I know we have some horse people here, right? Don't be a horse. Right? Because I, 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 don't, I haven't read, rid, ho- ridden horses, rode horses, I don't know, much. But I can imagine that it's better if the horse understands the things that the horse is supposed to do rather than maybe getting jerked around and disciplined until they do what they're supposed to do. I think that's like it for us. Like the psalmist is so concerned with us being the people that God wants us to be. And he's imploring us not to be stubborn. Not to have somebody, not to have God jerk your head around so that you might go in the direction that you want. Because God really doesn't operate that way. Psalmist wants to sit with you and instruct you. To allow you to confess your sins to God and to them that we could be the people that God has called us to be. Well, I think, I think this helps us answer this, how do we live in neighborly, compassionate justice? In that, like I said at the beginning, you and I, we, we can't live in neighborly, compassionate justice if we're all wrapped up in our own sinfulness. But maybe even in the act of confessing our own sin, hearing instruction from someone else, and then going and helping others confess as well, and instructing others from a place of relationship, that that, that is how we begin to practice our neighborly compassionate brothers. Or justice. Neighborly compassionate justice, yeah. But you and I have a responsibility to each other. We've got to confess ourselves. We've got to move out of all that stuff that entangles us. We also have a responsibility as we do that, as people who have been forgiven, who have been blessed by God, to care and instruct each other. That's the beginning of how we enact neighborly compassionate justice in this body. Confession is good for your body and your soul. Confession is good for us as the people of God. And as we move out from this place, people who have been freed from sin and the death that results of it, we can begin to enact neighborly compassionate justice through helping people confess and move out of those things that entangle them. Well, we're into this, w- this year, uh, during Lent, we are going to uh, receive the Lord's Supper, much like we did during Advent. And, and I, I think I like doing this during these special times because I think it hope, helps us focus maybe on those things. Uh, because this, this meal that we, uh, that we are going to receive here, um, it is nourishment. Like, it, it is the things, in a weird way, right? In a strange, mysterious way. It is part of what we need to become the people that God has called us to be. 
But this prayer we're going to pray at the beginning, and I want you to repeat this with me, actually. It's called the Collect for Purity, and I think it's part confession uh, that we've not done the things that we need to do, and it's part prayer that God would continue to work in our lives to purify us. So let's read this. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open and all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.